हेलो एंड अ वेरी वार्म वेलकम यू आर लिसनिंग टू ए स्पेशल एपिसोड ऑफ बिजनेस लाइन पॉडकास्ट वी आर ज्वाइन बाय हर्ष मारीवाला द चेयरमैन ऑफ मैरिको मैरिको इज वन ऑफ द लार्जेस्ट होम ग्रोन कंज्यूमर प्रोडक्ट कंपनीज विद ब्लॉकबस्टर ब्रांड्स लाइक पैराशूट एंड सफोला इन इट्स पोर्टफोलियो वी आर स्पीकिंग टू हर्ष बिकॉज़ ही हैज अ न्यू बुक कमिंग आउट इन अ फ्यू डेज इट्स कॉल्ड हर्ष रियलिटी एंड पब्लिश्ड बाय पेंगुइन रैंडम हाउस इट्स अ ब्रीजी अकाउंट ऑफ द ट्रांसफॉर्मेशन ऑफ अ फैमिली ओन्ड कमोडिटी बिजनेस टू अ पब्लिकली ओन्ड एंड प्रोफेशनली मैनेज्ड ऑलमोस्ट अ बिलियन डॉलर marketing driven fmcg giant with a global footprint the book also features fascinating family drama and intense david versus goliath boardroom battles it is the story of harsh the entrepreneur who had to reboot himself pretty and pretty and and start pretty much afresh at least half a dozen times by my reckoning harsh is also a rare entrepreneur in india who knows the art of letting go Despite its origins as a family-owned company, Marico is today professionally managed, uh, with Harsh uh, stepping aside from most day-to-day executive functions. Welcome to the Business Line podcast, Harsh, and uh, congratulations on the book. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vivek, and nice uh, speaking to you. Um, let me start by asking you about uh, the family name itself, the Mariwala name. I don't think it's a surname that one would uh, often encounter among people from Kutch. <laughs> yes, it's uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, if you look at uh, any any directory in say Bombay or anywhere else, you will hardly find any Mariwalas except my relatives. There are there have been few other Mariwalas, but uh, very handful. So it's an unusual name, and it has nothing to do with Kutch, but it has to do with uh, the business. My um, grandfather started in black pepper mm-hmm. and in gujarati black pepper is known as mari uh, so and when you start a business and you get associated with in the society then wala is somebody who is connected to that uh, so it you are closely connected to black pepper and that's how the name mari wala came in mm-hmm. and earlier prior to that the surname was merchant Mm-hmm. but there were so many merchants maybe my grandfather thought that mariwala is a better name because it is uh, at least it is giving a hint in terms of what is what is the business at that point of time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah harsh tell us about uh, the origins of the of the business that uh, your 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 grand grandparents started uh, and it is quite a well known company um, bombay oil tell us about how it came to be formed so the business started uh, through a trading group by my grandfather and then my father joined the business at that time we were trading mainly in black pepper and copra and other spices and we were doing cleaning and grading of pepper and in mainly in kerala mm-hmm. and also exporting pepper and we had built a good name in terms of our quality and assurance and trust and reliability so we were one of the leading exporters of black pepper at that time and when my father uh, was the first person from the uh, next generation that is you you the eldest amongst uh, the children he took a big step in converting the business from trading to manufacturing so he looked at the raw materials we were uh, we were exporting like black pepper and from that we went into uh, what is known as the oleo resins or spices which is extracts of spices which is exported to developed markets instead of exporting spices and then we went into copra crushing and went to refining of edible oils 
and also making chemicals from oil. Mm -hmm. So he is the one who brought in the transition from from trading to manufacturing. That's how Bombay Oil Industries was formed in the year forty-seven. Okay. And then on, uh, you know, there were, as I said, there were four uh, factories in uh, three in Bombay, one in Kerala, and he also acquired a company in, in Gujarat, uh, manufacturing Vanaspati. So I think he was the one who converted the business from trading to manufacturing. And that's how when I joined the business, uh, and again, I was the first person from the next generation, I I joined Bombay Oil Industries at that time, the manufacturing part of the family. Which, you know. which, which, which year uh, did you officially join business? So I joined uh, business in the year 71. Okay. At the uh, young age of 20. 20. Harsh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm personally fascinated by Indian business history. Um, for a lot of our young listeners, uh, tell us about those times, you know, at, at the age of 20, uh, uh, when you entered uh, the family business, what was yeah. the business landscape like? Um, uh, you know, especially uh, the business of spices and oil trading. Yeah. And you know, it was a, uh, we hear about the extortionate tax rates, and yes. uh, it was said that you know uh, India was, was probably the hardest country to do business in. Yes. So, in so you're a, yeah. environment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you ever think of not being an entrepreneur? In those <laughs> so. Okay, multiple questions you asked. What is the environment at that time? And as you rightly put it, it, uh, it was highly regulated. And uh, I think most businesses needed uh, a license to manufacture. And not only license to start manufacturing, but uh, uh, if you had a manufacturing capacity of, say, 100 tons, you could not manufacture beyond 110 tons. So, you know, there were other regulations which inhibited uh, you to uh, grow. Uh, and again, for for whatever reason, if your productivity increased, your production increased beyond the license capacity, you have to go back to the government for increasing the capacity. So the need to get permissions from the government uh, to because of tight regulations was really inhibiting the growth of uh, businesses. So I think that was one. Uh, but separately, I think as entrepreneurs, uh, I, you want to be an entrepreneur. I agree that the tax rates were very high. And at one stage, I mean, you're looking at 90% plus tax, income tax and wealth tax and rates combined. Mm -hmm. But uh, as businessmen, uh, you, I think your, your burning desire to build a business overcomes all the other, shall I say, regulatory issues as well as the tax hurdles, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yes, it was difficult. Uh, the tax rates were high, but in spite of that, I don't think I ever said that I don't want to join the business. I don't think I ever said that I want to work for somebody else because the need for autonomy and the need to create a stamp of your own in terms of the business you built mm -hmm. is very high amongst entrepreneurs, you know, mm -hmm. and then hope that the environment will change, which changed over a period of time. And now it's much, much easier to do business compared to the times uh, when I started. Uh, in your book, uh, reading your book, it seems that uh, you know you've sought out mentors outside of family and community circles uh, very early. You know, uh, even even when you are cutting your teeth as a sort of uh, you know management trainee at large at uh, Bombay Oil. Yeah. Why, did, why did you do that? Um, and uh, how did you find find Professor Ramcharan as as your mentor and who also happens to be the co-narrator of this book? So, uh, you know, when I joined the business, it was a typically family-managed business located in the heart of commodity market, 
markets in Masjid Bandar in Bombay, which is a very, very crowded locality mm-hmm. um, in transport area, very dirty locality, a lot of hand carts, lorries, no parking place for cars. So it was tough really to enter the office also and in a very dirty kind of surrounding. Mm-hmm. So, and then it was a completely family managed organization. There were no professionals. So the family was there, which comprised of my father and three of his brothers. And then uh, there were all the family relatives or acquaintances who were helping the family run the business. So at one level, you know, it was the fact that there were no professional. It was typically family managed company and all the key decisions were taken by the family. And, you know, I envisaged uh, creating a fast moving consumer goods business, which required you need to to need to attract very good talent, whether it's in marketing or in HR or in or in sales. And uh, one was not able to attract talent because of, because of the location in Majid Bandar, the fact that it was perceived to be a family managed organization, so many family members in the business. So I had to work with outside professionals who were uh, who were functional experts, and that's how I started working with three, four of them. And meeting them sometimes in the evening, sometimes night, because they were busy doing a day job. Um, because I had to set up all the systems, basic systems of HR, sales, marketing, business, uh, you know. And I think the whole thing transformed over a period of time. But uh, individual interactions with thought leaders has really helped me in terms of uh, improving my own understanding of the business, teaching me a lot because I just did my commerce graduation. I didn't even do my uh, MBA or anything like that. So I was also going through a lot of learning curve. And I think these interactions helped me both. One is in my own learning and also implementing uh, all the systems, processes in the organization, which really helped in terms of growing the business but uh, coming to a specific question yeah about Ram Charan yes yes. how did I meet him so I think over a period of time when uh, the business grew we we realized that we needed to work with some consultants who are really top class in terms of at a global level and uh, consultants who could help us uh, arrive at our vision help us look at the strategy uh, project our business over a period of time and uh, in that search I I was interacting with some other family uh, professionals, uh, family friends who are professionals. So somebody in Levers, whom uh, the family knew, uh, suggested uh, Ramchand's name. And it took me some time to convince him. Uh, I had to send a lot of uh, literature uh, in terms of what we were doing, what we intended doing, and then uh, get him to India. And finally that happened and we really clicked well in terms of... uh, personal chemistry in terms of uh, uh, adding value so that's the that's how i started working so it was through a process of shall i say identification through my own networks and then taking it further in terms of establishing a close relationship with him tell tell us about the story of your uh, what uh, late night trips or early morning trips to ahmedabad <laughs> to meet a certain uh, yeah i am ahmedabad yes yeah, so the professor's name uh, was uh, Dr. Labdi Bandari. He was heading the marketing uh, faculty in IIM Ahmedabad. And again, I had identified through friends who was a good marketing brain. 
and but he made it very clear to me that i have a full day job and i can't i can't work with you during the day i can't come to bombay so you'll have to come to ahmedabad uh, late evening and we would start at about 9 in the evening and go up to 3 4 in the morning uh, discuss whatever key issues we had to discuss in the area of marketing and then i would come back in the morning flight so multiple times i have done those those night trips evening trips and coming back next morning from the bus primarily because he was very busy and you know i had to i had to adjust myself to his 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 timing you know uh, harshman you did decide to create a core of professional managers inside uh, what was a very very traditional family business setup what what was your sales pitch to the talent that you were trying to attract was it money alone paying you you mentioned in your book that yeah. uh, you paid top dollars or what what the market rate then was yeah yeah so i think in multiple you know in the initial stages it was bombay oil industries so i used to uh, many times you know when i would call people to the office they would just not turn up you know they would run away before entering the office because it was so crowded you know and was so dirty so then i had to change tacks and i had, i used to meet them at the wellington club which is a prestigious club in bombay and uh, at least meet them once twice uh, and mentally prepare them that this is uh, what the office is uh, and over a period of time we will try our utmost to shift the office so that was at that time the big pitch was okay it's uh, it's perceived to be a family managed but i am the one who you will report to and the office premises and that we are setting up a business which uh, for which i need your help and uh, you will work directly with me but as the business grew and as the the business of consumer products in bombay oil got shifted to marico that gave me a great opportunity to to work on what we call the employee value proposition at that time mm-hmm. and we said that what kind of talent you require what kind of culture you require to succeed in fmcg business is very very crucial for us to identify so we identified values like openness trust empowering because that's was a key differentiator compared to many other multinational corporations where a lot of permission a lot of decisions were taken by the headquarters located in some other countries mostly in uk or us and here everything was done at our own end so we said that you learn a lot if you work with us compared to mnc mm-hmm. uh, it's it's we also trying to instill a pride that it's an indian company you're working for so combination of cultural values of openness trust risk taking empowerment being an indian company played a very important role in attracting talent you know but one had to proactively deal with it and you know me saying that would not have so i had to recruit very good hr person the first person i recruited when i started marico was the head of hr you know and i think that he was able to convince them because he was convinced himself after discussing with me so with his networks he was able to convince others to join that we are here to create future uh, fmcg company you know um harsh almost 80% of indian businesses are are family owned perhaps even more um and intergenerational transition without peers seems to be the biggest challenge for them uh yeah. how did you deal with it uh when uh you demerged the consumer business from bombay oil yeah, and then yeah. later when marico was formed and then now yeah. when you yeah. decided to step aside so you are absolutely right that uh, when the next generation joins the family business they come up with their own set of uh, thinking their own set of ambitions they have studied differently compared to their parents or uncles 
and they are big change agents in any organization. And many times, if that change is not handled properly, it can lead to either the business breaking up or business getting divided or smooth transition not happening. And I think first 10, 15 years, I was the first only person 10 years or so uh, from the next generation who owned the business. But then three, four of my cousins joined business. So it was very important for me to, to drive change through consensus building, you know, because if I had... Uh, if I had taken a certain stance and, you know, if it had not been agreed by other family members, it would have led to some differences of opinion and that itself would have led to conflicts and I would have still been managing conflicts because you've seen in many family managed organizations, the conflicts go on for not only one decade, but two, three, four decades, you know. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to avoid that and I think uh, for that you require a lot of patience. Uh, you need to build consensus and if need be, you need to have some somebody who's trusted by the family to act as some, some sort of mediator. So you have to do it gradually. You can't, uh, though you may be convinced that this is the only way to move forward, you have to have a lot of patience. And, you know, uh, there has to be some time you have to go on. Uh, but I think it, to me, it, it took almost two to three years to, to make that happen, you know. And, but looking back, it was fully worth it. Uh, investing those efforts uh, at that time. Otherwise, I would have been struggling managing family dynamics uh, all my life, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, how did the how did the iconic blue parachute bottle come to become uh, uh, the category definer for coconut oils in India? You know, there seems to be a lot of uh, quirky experiments that you have done. Some even <laughs> featuring rats. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, what did you do? So I think uh, the blue bottle was, I think, associated with sky, you know, blue sky. Mm. And uh, I think uh, maybe my favorite color is blue. <laughs> so it just happened. Uh, we were also packing at that time coconut oil in, in bulk, like 15 liter tins and also in, uh, in one liter tins, you know. And at that time it was blue and I thought I'll continue, continue that blue color. And separately, a lot of advice was given to me at that time that parachute why parachute parachute is not the right brand name for a coconut oil you know but i thought it is uh, i mean it's okay to continue i didn't have any other option and the word parachute came in because of the fact that you know those days in world war days there was uh, the parachute was new uh, it was used to you know to land you know from the skies so so i think because it was new it had some unique uh, kind of a uh, it was something new, so the family had decided to name the coconut oil parachute, but mainly it was sold in big tins. I decided to continue uh, continue uh, using that brand name as well as the color. And looking back, it has been the right decision because we have grown. Uh, coming Then we saw an opportunity of converting the whole market. We launched a product in tins in small packs, 200 ml, 500 ml. And then we said that, can we convert the market from tin to plastic? And that's how the plastic bottles came in. And, you know, I think all the experiments with rat biting and all came in. So I think that is in the history of our parachute uh, packaging, which has played a very important role in driving our growth from virtually a 0% market share. We, over a period of 10, 15 years, became clear market leaders, you know, in a very large category. Yeah, those uh, uh, tin packs were really painful, you know. I remember having cut my fingers yeah, yeah. as a child, especially in North India, 
I would have lost the control of the company. So I think it was a great learning curve because you know one and a half two years we were not able to we were not able to uh, go public. But finally we said that we have a strong story, and we went public at a high premium, and that succeeded. That gave a very uh, strong confidence to me and my team. Mm-hmm. And I don't regret going public, you know, because it's uh, it has benefits. It could be some people may not like going public in terms of quarterly pressures, performance pressures, and you're always in in the limelight uh, by external shareholders. Governance also plays a very important role. But to me, I have looked at all that from a opportunity point of view that it, it has helped us a lot, you know. So looking back, I think uh, going public has been a, though it happened out of sheer, uh, I mean, I had to do it, um, but uh, it's been a good move. You know, I'm happy that you went public. And what about your relationship with your cousins? Uh, you know, after the payout, uh, how 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 was how how are your personal relationships? And so I mean, when you when anything like that happens, the separation, there is some there is some friction, there is some strained relation. But I think over a period of time, it it mends, you know. And I think now we are back to normal. Though financially, we are not we are not together except one of my uncles and his sons. But otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's back to normal in terms of uh, relationships now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the most fascinating accounts in your book uh, is the one about the existential battle with uh, Hindustan Lever Limited or HLL. Uh, you know, when the when the chairman of HLL KK Dadi said uh, dialed up with a you know sell out or I'll finish you off kind of threat. Um, were you not tempted to take a generous offer from HLL, the you know big daddy, the 800-pound gorilla of FMCG business in India? And you know, after all, this was a this was a commodity-oriented business, and uh, India at that time, th- th- this would have been in the in the in the mid 90s. Correct, correct. You know, uh, which is when India had opened up, and you know, India was buzzing at that time with new business yeah. opportunities in several sunrise sectors. So, weren't you not yes. tempted to take the money and and do something? Start again. So I think you have to go back to what are your entrepreneurial dreams, you know. There are some people who want to... Tell, tell, tell us also a little bit of background about this Keki Dadi said phone call. Why? <laughs> okay, let me just start with what I started and then I'll come to that. Sure. So, you know, there are different types of entrepreneurs. There are some entrepreneurs who build a business and they sell it. And they start another business. So they are hunters. Like, you know, you've seen this Paras Pharma. They've they built Paras, they sold it. Now they built the other company, Winnie Cosmetics, again sold it or at least diluted, they will sell it. And so they get that kind of, I'm more a farmer kind of entrepreneur where I look at a really long-term um, continuity of business, including perpetuity. So, and money, uh, it does not uh, attract me. You know, you need your basics in terms of some degree of monetary um needs but beyond that you know i i don't think my lifestyle has changed from what it was uh compared to what i i was maybe 20 or 30 years back so i think those but to me it was creating a strong business and sustaining it and and leading it from a perpetual basis so i was not shall i say i was not tempted by those uh offers you know now uh you want me to ask what i mean the key thing is uh, you know they were keen they had brought this Tata Nihar and they had bought um, uh, they bought one more Coco Care brand 
uh, in coconut oil segment. So they had some presence in that segment and they wanted to become a clear market leader. And that's how they wanted to, uh, to buy us over. It's, uh, I mean, we were approached uh, through some other uh, agents and you know, bankers in terms of why did you sell out, you'll, you'll regret if you don't sell out. As you said, it's a gorilla. But I was very clear that I don't want to sell, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's the background. And then one fine day, Mr. Dadi said for me, I never met him prior to that. And tried to convince me to sell. But I was very clear, I, I don't want to sell. You know, sensing so, your uh, intent to dig in, dig in your heels, uh, you you recount that your friend Uday Kotak asked you to go and meet uh, Karsan Bhai Patel in Ahmedabad. Yeah, because uh, you know Nima at that time was fighting a battle with uh, Lever, then I think you always want to know, okay, your your enemy's enemy is your best friend. They say, you know, <laughs> so can you learn from them? So I went, especially I flew down to Ahmedabad for for a day, morning, evening. Mm-hmm. I met him and then he gave me a lot of, shall I say, support saying that, no, no, we have to protect Indian Indian brands, Indian businesses. Uh, don't give up like that. Uh, so I think that meeting, at least if not anything else, it helped me build my own confidence that I can take them on. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it so happened that, uh, you know, you turned the tables on HLL. You ended up buying HLL's uh, Nihar brand instead of selling out. Yeah, because we took, uh, I mean, we were very clear that, you know, we were a very strong brand and we can take them on. We improved uh, in the area of our physical distribution, rural distribution, in product quality. We had an emotional advertising to appeal to our existing users. Mm-hmm. So all net net, I'm saying that we were quite confident that we will not get impacted. So they launched the product two, three times and spent a lot of money in, in marketing, advertising, through pricing. They were able to get some share, but not at our cost. You know? It came uh, from other weaker players, you know. And at some stage, uh, it started. They started losing interest because that to the time when Unilever started um, getting into more and more Hindu Sunlever shoes, you know. So at that time, hair oiling is not a is not a global category for them, Unilever. So they started losing interest. And their market share fell down from 12% to something like 7 8%. And that time I I used to meet that senior leadership team, which had got changed, and told them that, why are you, I mean, you're losing share, not investing. Why don't you sell it off? And then they, I mean, they didn't sell it off to me, but they put the brand on uh, through a bidding auction in which we were aggressive and we acquired that brand. Uh, did you manage to speak to Dadi Set after that, after you bought Nihar? So, no, no, no. After that, uh, I think by then he had shifted to London and he was based in, in UK, you know. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, I met him after that, but not discussed. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't discuss the, the no, phone no. call? No, no, no. no, no. And you buying their business? No, 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 no. Okay. No, by then, yeah, Mr. Arish Manwani, Bindi Banga had come in, you know. So, I was, I mean, I was interacting with them. Yeah, but 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 that uh, that episode seems to have uh, kindled the animal spirits of Mariko, if I may say. Uh, you you recount how there there was a war room created, and you know like a war chant like Har Har Mahadev. You know people used mm-hmm. to swear on parachute parachute ki kasam. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so the business got recharged, 
and uh, yes. you redoubled your efforts at building a better distribution network uh, and not ceding ground to any of the hll brands at any cost did that help uh, that, that i that think so it, first of all it it uh, it just rekindled as you rightly put the animal spirits it gave us huge confidence in the marketplace because by then we were public company so and when they we bought their brand it was a huge shall i say source of joy whatever uh, feel good factor with the organization so definitely our our overall confidence increased uh, through that uh, that experience you know when when did the idea of succession planning first come to your mind when did you actively start thinking about succession planning so i mean as an entrepreneur who is who always wants to build a business from a perpetuity angle is important that you think about succession planning but because i think it is there should be system not only for the top but the next one or two levels also and um, one doesn't know what will happen you know in terms of your own health or whatever is your own capability so you always think that okay uh, who could be my successor could there be an internal person what should i do when should i step down when should the successor come in so that's something which has been occupying uh, my thoughts uh, for some time and then also the board also plays an important role in driving such discussions of succession planning so it's taken as a as a as a subject at the board level and retreats and all not only for me but one level lower also so you you stepped down uh, as the managing director in 2015 i think 2014 yeah 2014 yeah uh, and and instead of instead of say a family member in a family business why did you go for a professional ceo like uh, swagata gupta so uh, i mean he approached me and said that okay can i become the managing director uh, i otherwise i can get some other job it's my desire to to be the managing director mm-hmm. uh, so i discussed with the board and we felt that yes he is he's been with the organization for more than 10 years or so and he's shown good signs of building the organization and he can uh, i think he can step into my shoes so why not family or 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 is he keeping the seat warm for another mariwala <laughs> no no not like that i think the organization interest come first you know and my son had worked in marico for some time and also in in kaya for some time and i think his uh, inklings were more to do with managing building a family office which is a different business altogether you know mm-hmm. and he has been uh, i mean he's done a very good uh, job in building sharp which is our family office investment office in investing in public markets unlisted companies and that's what though he's also on board of marico mm-hmm. so uh, so i think he wanted to move in that uh, newer business building something of his own rather than following something which i had done you know Uh, a, 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 the head of a global headhunting firm once told me that um, in the indian context the role of a professional ceo in a family run business in india uh, you know it's it's basically two things one uh, to keep the promoter members on the board happy and two get favors from the government <laughs> there is not much more of a role for a professional ceo in a family run company so i think we may be an outlier i don't think that is relevant to to marico it's not to keep a promoter happy 
to keep all the stakeholders happy, which is due because of good performance, you know. So if your performance is not good as a professional CEO, then you are not keeping anybody happy, you know. Mm-hmm. And luckily in our sector, we don't have to go to the government for many clearances. And as such, the role of government is reduced over a period of time. Mm-hmm. So not at all relevant from what you heard from somebody else uh, to Marico. So we need to have a leader who is great performer who looks at all the stakeholders and not just shareholders. What next for Harsh Maribhavala? You are you're what seventy now? Yeah. And uh, how do you how do you intend to spend uh, the rest of your life and your wealth? So, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I'm trying to build uh, the organization from a perpetuity point of view. Mm-hmm. So, effective board members. Um, managing the company, converting the company from a promoter managed company to a strategic investor driven company where the board will play a very important role in driving growth, in selecting the right talent, uh, in ensuring that the perpetuity is there through values building, culture building, purpose of the organization. So that's as far as Marico is concerned. And separately, I I do a lot of things in terms of giving initiatives. So whether it is in the area of mental health, which my daughter manages, we are a funding agency. We give grants to almost 26 mental health organizations in the country. We also am working on Ascent, which is our platform for helping entrepreneurs through a peer-to-peer learning platform. So I spend time there. My son's office, though he manages full-time, I spend about 10-20% of my time on that. The writing of the book uh, <laughs> took some time. And I'm happy that the book has come out quite well. And I'm sure that the readers will enjoy reading the book. Uh, it'll be much more than what uh, you covered today, but I must compliment you for uh, for having very pointed questions, and I'm sure you have read the whole book <laughs> properly. Otherwise, you would not have been able to get these questions. Uh, but I am quite busy, you know. I I keep I am on board of three of our own internal companies and three external boards. I am also an uh, advisor to some private equity funds. So net net, I have I have a lot lot of things including a lot of media interactions uh, i speak a lot at different uh, company events or some other platforms so it's, uh, it's 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 different compared to what i was doing in a way i've reinvented myself but i'm enjoying and i'm seeing uh, i see that i'm able to add value to all the stakeholders harsh mariwala thank you very much for joining us and thank all the best for your new book thank you thank you very much. bye